whether you are starting a business or running a business, maybe you're producing a podcast like The Kara Golden Show. Let's face it, it's always way harder than one might expect. Lots of little details, meticulous planning, producing product, guest coordination, editing, promoting each episode. It's all a ton of work. Managing merchandise, managing cases and book sales too, layer after layer of complexity. And if you're like me, looking for ways to operate more efficiently and effectively is the name of the game. That's why I'm going to let you in on a little secret. ShipStation, the tool that is here to help you and you need to know all about it. With ShipStation, you can integrate with all the places you sell online, optimize your shipping, save costs and time. Personally, ShipStation has been a lifesaver for me. Its automation features allow me to manage orders from anywhere and print shipping labels with just a click. Seriously, it's that easy. And the cost savings? Unbelievable. With discounts up to 89% off carrier rates, you can't go wrong. Significant savings. And who doesn't want that? An easy-to-use dashboard, robust reporting. Oh, and did I mention that over 130,000 companies have leveraged ShipStation to grow their businesses? Not much churn either. 98% of them stay with ShipStation because it truly works. ShipStation is it. So if you're ready to streamline your shipping process and focus more on what you love, head over to ShipStation.com the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CARA. Use code CARA for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CARA. I am talking about financial independence and taking a population of people who are underutilized and putting them back into the workforce. I am unwilling to give up that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, it's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm here with Sam Edis, and so excited that you're here with me today. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. It's so fun to turn the tables now, right? After I I grilled you a couple weeks ago on our podcast. (laughs) Yes, no, definitely. So Sam, for those of you who don't know a little bit about Sam, she is the founder and CEO of Park Place Payments, which is so 
so cool. And it's a really a sales force, not to be confused with the company, but a sales force as a service business. And it's really dedicated. I love the idea when Sam was talking to me about it. It's a really dedicated to championing women. And she'll talk a little bit more about that. She's really devoted her entire career to really advocating and supporting women and and I love that you are always the person that is showing up when, you know, I feel like the underdogs really need lots more support. So thank you for doing all of what you do every single day. But so we'll talk a little bit more about Park Place. But in addition, she's also the best selling author of five books. I mean, you haven't like slightly been busy over the course <laughs> and you've taught me so much about being an author and how getting the word out about your book and, and marketing and how important that is. And then in addition, she is the co-founder of the Los Angeles Women's Collective aimed at supporting women to run for office and win. And I'm so, so excited to dive more into your story on that as well. Oh, and I almost forgot, for those of you who didn't hear the last interview, she is, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but she is the speaker and co-host of a nationally syndicated call-in radio show that we will chat a little bit more about that coming up. But welcome, welcome, Sam. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. So can you explain a little bit about even before we get into Park Place Payments, like you grew up in New York and what was life like? What, who was Sam as a little kid? So I grew up, um, my parents were married. My brother was two years younger than me. And starting at age eight, I became a competitive tennis player. So I had my first, I guess at age nine, I had my first ranking, but I really kind of missed the teen years in the sense, like I never had a sip of alcohol until college. Not that that is defining your teen years, but I was definitely, ha I was on a different path than, than everyone else was. And I felt like I had a job or a full-time job. So I would, you know, go to school. I was able to stack all of my, as I got into high school, I was able to stack all of my classes to be done by 1230 or one every day. And then I would travel out to Long Island. My mom would drive me every day and I'd play tennis for a couple of hours and then come back home. And I was at a very competitive school. So I'd have like three or four hours of homework. And then I'd have dinner with my family, homework, and then I'd maybe talk on the phone for an hour and then go to bed and, you know, repeat the next day. And then every weekend I played tennis tournaments. So I missed most parties. I mean, I remember there was this boy I had a huge crush on and he asked me out three times and all three times I couldn't go. And that was kind of it, you know, because I was always playing tennis and I then got to college and, and at college, I was really part of the athlete crowd. And that was a defining part of my, my college life. My, my roommates were all varsity athletes too. And, and then after two years in college, I just, one day I started writing for the paper and the coach kind of said to me, you, you have to choose, you can't write for the paper if you're playing number two singles on the tennis team. And I just, I remember being up all night and I finally thought, okay, I'm, I'm done. Like, I'm not going to be a pro. And there's wow. so many other things in college I want to do. And so I just kind of branched out and did a lot of other things. Wow. That was a huge decision. So, I mean, how did you feel about that? Did you feel like it was, I mean, obviously you had 
been on this path for so long and your community was all kind of built on, you know, your identity was built on this. Like how hard was that to sort of walk away from that and kind of move in this new direction? You know, it was very hard. I'm not even sure in hindsight that I don't believe my, my big thing is don't live life in the past lane, but I would say that it was not necessarily the wisest decision at the time in the sense that it was somewhat impulsive. My, as you said, my whole community, you know, most of them were athletes. And I remember even my senior year when I wasn't playing anymore, people would ask me how the team had done in that tournament that weekend. Like I was still known as a tennis player for the rest of college. And even now, you know, if I go back to New York city and now live in LA, but if I go back to New York and bump into people, everyone's always asking me about tennis. It was my identity for so long. And I think that in many ways that identity, having an identity that kind of made me a little bit well-known in my community Mm -hmm. was something that maybe subconsciously I've always sought out, right? Like it wasn't enough to be media. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. 
That sponsor is The Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, The Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. Yoker. It wasn't enough to be pretty good at something. It almost instilled in me this drive to be the best at whatever it is I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was a gymnast, not actually sort of your level, it sounds like, but I found that I also really appreciated having other people around me that were also really good. In fact, I like didn't have the sense of, I always wanted to be better, but I also really appreciated the fact that there were certain things that maybe I couldn't be as good at, like floor exercise for me. I was never a dancer. Like I was a great, you know, vault and bars and I was okay at beam, but I like could not do floor. And so I would sit there and mesmerize by people who could actually do floor really, really well. And I would want them on my team because that's ultimately how we were scored. And so I feel like even though I didn't continue in college, I feel like I still have that appreciation where I want really great people on my team a part of my community. And I, I feel like you've done such a great job of building your teams and make sure to have, you know, people who are maybe better than you at certain things and try and figure like they have to culturally sort of be a fit, but then it's okay to actually have people that skills wise are maybe better than you. And I think oftentimes people, I mean, I hate to say this, but I feel like men just in general have a harder time with that than maybe women do. And especially if you've been a female athlete, you and I have never really talked about this, but I've, I really feel like that's what I see. And even when I look at how you've built your companies, I feel like you 
you sort of subscribe to the same mindset. Absolutely. And I also think just in terms of the people I surround myself with, like I love learning, right? And I'm so aware of my weaknesses, like you just said, and my strengths. And so to me, it's like every relationship I have, I feel like I have something to learn from that person. And I I can't get enough of people. Like I love meeting new people. I collect new people just like you do. I mean, you and yeah. I became friends recently. Yeah. And I already feel like I know you so well. And you're like in my collection of women I love. Yeah. I love it. And it's just that never goes away. I think that desire to always be learning and and getting better. And I think that the people you surround yourself with are definitely a huge part of how much you learn. So you graduated and what was your first job after graduation? So I graduated and I was the only one of my friends who didn't have a job upon graduation because I knew I wanted to be in Hollywood and no one in Hollywood will hire you in advance. So when I would send out resumes, they'd say, well, call us when you get here. And I moved out to Los Angeles. And I remember I traveled backpacking through Europe on $30 a day with my three, three of my really close girlfriends for five weeks. And they all had Two of them were going to medical school and one of them was going to an investment bank. And I was the one who was just going to LA without a job. And I remember it was very hard for me all summer to be, because I was never that person, right? I was the person that was like, it sounded like I was the underachiever because I was like, oh, this poor girl without a job. I had a plan, but no job. So anyway, so after that, I moved out to LA and the first thing I did was go to this temp agency. So actually between Europe and LA, I knew that one of the ways that they evaluated you as an assistant in Hollywood was how fast you typed. And so I took a typing class across from Madison Square Garden at like the most disgusting hotel. It was like so funny, the Penn Plaza Hotel or something for two weeks straight. Every single day, all day, I would go and learn how to type. And I think it came out of there at like 35 words a minute, which isn't still very good, but like it was good enough to like get me in the door. And so then I moved out to LA and I, my first interview was with this guy named Jules who had a temp agency that placed you as an assistant at different agencies. And he looked at my resume and he said, Harvard, like he did a double take. And he's like, you know, he thought he'd struck gold. He's like, I'll get you a ton of interviews. So the next day he sent me to, he was sending me to CAA, William Morris and ICM. And my first interview was at CAA with this guy named Kevin Cooper. And the woman who was head of HR, she's like really famous in Hollywood. Her name is Arlene Newman. And she sent me to Kevin Cooper's desk. And he's like, I never, never would hire someone this green. Like, why should I hire you? And he's like, all my assistants have cried. You know, are are, are you going to cry? And I said, oh, I never cry, which is total BS. And I was like, I never cry. And and, and anyway, he's like, I don't know about you. Let me think about it. So next day I was going out the doors before cell phones. I'm going out the door to my William Morris interview and my phone rings and it's Kevin Cooper again. And he's like, Hey, what are you doing? And I'm said, Oh, I'm going to my William Morris interview. And he said, don't go. And I said, why? And he said, you're hired. I just don't want William Morris to get you. And he goes, but come in right this second. So I remember I didn't even call my mom to tell her I got a job. It was like pre-cell phone and I had to be at the office and I ran to CAA and started that day. And I think it was like five weeks later where he made me cry, but (laughs) it was really abusive. (laughs) If you're listening, Kevin Cooper, he would make, I mean, it was very Hollywood the way I was treated. And then he got a job running Francis Ford Coppola's TV production company. And so I remember like three months after working for him, he brought me into his office and he'd spent his entire career at CAA and he'd gotten his job and asked me if I would go with him as his assistant. So I went with him. And we got there and we had a deal with Hallmark Television. And one day, one of the guys who was a a head of Hallmark came over to me and he said, 
we actually can't stand the way your boss treats you. We'll help you find another job, but you must leave. It was like an abused, abused situation where like it took these like intervention. Oh and my God. I moved on and, and worked at a Ted Turner's film studio for a little bit. And then I moved to the Bay Area. That is so funny. Oh my God, what a crazy world. I didn't realize that you worked at Turner as well because I was at CNN, but probably di- a little bit different times, but I was in New York. I was in New York. In New York, okay. Yeah, but on yeah, the news was- side, you know, actually of Turner. Yeah, I was on the very assistant side yeah. <laughs> of Turner Pictures, but I learned a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's so funny. What a crazy small world. And so after these points, then how did you get to Park Place Payments ultimately? I went to business school and when I graduated from business school at the time, I was the only entrepreneur in my class. It was 2001. Everyone was going into private equity and consulting. And I decided to launch kind of like the CAA of personal brands. And it was a little bit ahead of its time. Like today, everyone would be signing up because everyone knows what their personal brand is. But then it kind of morphed more into a PR firm because that's what people were willing to pay for. And that was also when I started my book series with Random House, The Expert's Guide. So there were a lot of experts that couldn't afford our retainer. And so I basically would put them in our book. So I did four books the expert's guide to 100 things everyone should know how to do was the first. And that was everyone from, you know, Barbara Corcoran doing how to sell your home to Bobby Flay on how to barbecue and so on. And so I I cold called all these experts who ended up writing chapters in my books and then started doing that full time because I got this four book deal with Random House. And so I then closed my firm. I placed everyone in other places and thought, okay, I'm just going to make books and babies. Cause at that point in time, books were, I mean, I had like a really amazing book deal that would carry us for a while. It was, you know, paid for our first apartment and stuff. So, but then of course I'm really ambitious and there were six months a year where I wasn't producing any books and I was bored to tears. And so I immediately started this online talk show with Gary Vaynerchuk. So I hosted this show that he created with me called Obsessed TV and we did 75 episodes. And so I do that in the books And then I really missed working with people and what I'd been doing and a media platform kind of was fun, but I really miss working with people. And so I started going back and helping people with work-life balance and recognizing that there was no expert in that space that was positive. There were like, you know, Anne-Marie Slaughter telling you, you can't have it all. And like a lot of very negative portrayals of working women. And I thought there was space for a really positive one. And so that is what led to The Pie Life, which was my last book that came out four years ago. And when I was on that book tour, there were, you know, I spoke everywhere you could imagine from Google to Target and General Mills. And the one group of women I could not help were the women who had left the workforce and wanted to return, but found that there were just no opportunities for them except for, you know, maybe selling makeup and skincare and clothing to their friends and not even making martini money. And I thought, what's going on here? Like these are women who have had incredible professional experience in all different fields and they're kind of left on the sidelines. And I've always been super passionate about financial independence and felt like I could make a difference. I had, I speak at a lot of different events and 10 years ago, I was at an event that was a boondoggle event for the top 20 companies in the credit card processing industry. Mm. And it was all white men who'd arrived on private planes. And I said, where are the women and people of color? And they kind of laughed at me and said, there are none. And I thought, okay, one day when I'm like 60 or 70, I'm going to come back and crush these guys. I don't need to do it today, but one day. 
And so I was on this book tour and I was like, hold on, this is the day. Like I am going to train this group of women to sell financial services in their communities. I'm not going to charge them to do it. And that is how Park Place Payments began. That's awesome. So you're basically, you're changing the lives of women. Like how do people ultimately make money in your business? And how do you make money in your business too? Sure. So credit card processing is this industry that a lot of, most people I didn't understand. No one understands unless they own a a store or business that accepts credit cards, but any business that accepts credit cards, whether it is a hair salon or a yoga studio or a restaurant or a sports stadium has this middleman between American Express, MasterCard and Visa and the business. And today the middleman is 40,000 white men who function a lot like used car salesmen. They change rates on you. They're hard to trust. There's a lot of hidden fees. And so what we've done is we train people to sell credit card processing to the businesses they already know, to their kids' pediatrician, their dentist, their hair salon, their favorite bookstore. And we train them through our free online course called Park Place Academy. And then they're invited to our weekly training sessions and they're up and running and we do all the heavy lifting. So they basically source leads and then we put together beautiful PowerPoints for them comparing a business's pricing and service and technology to what we offer. And then they present it. And if the business says yes, we board them, we do all the the heavy lifting and we do all the servicing on the account. And then that account executive splits everything 50-50 with us for the life of the account. Wow. So they become entrepreneurs. So we have seen people who went from being a teacher or being a newscaster, or we have a doctor, we have flight attendants. I mean, we have people in every different field you can imagine who we train to sell financial services in their communities. And they might start out with one account and then suddenly they grow it to 30 accounts. And suddenly they go from three figures a month to four figures a month and they just keep on going. So they're only limited by how much time they're putting in. That's amazing. And do you feel like there's a certain part of the country that there's more people interested in sort of doing this type of work? Or do you feel like it's pretty like scattered all over. I mean, it seems like a, a huge opportunity for people, especially in today's day and age when, you know, there's so many people who have gotten furloughed or laid off. And, you know, this is something where you can just go and do because how many people know lots of people in their community? Right. I mean, there's so many people right now that need either a side hustle or a full-time thing and an opportunity that gives them the flexibility to still help their kids with Zoom school or work from home or care for a sick relative or whatever it is. And so this is a way that they can build their nest egg while also building their resume. Because if they want to go back to corporate America, they've been an account executive with a financial services company, as opposed to, you know, maybe a consultant with a beauty company or something that people won't take as seriously on their resumes. And we have seen a a basically record number of people who are interested in our program, just given the economy, obviously, and how many financially vulnerable households there are. And a lot of people who want to be returning to the workforce or adding to what their household's income is currently. And so that's been really rewarding for us. I mean, we're creating a huge company. It's going to be a a multi-billion dollar company, but there's this huge social mission component, which is financial independence for people who might not have had the opportunity to have it before. Yeah, no, it's absolutely amazing. And do you feel like, or I should say, how has the pandemic affected you? I mean, during this time, how, how do you think about your business or what challenges did you have during this time? So we got really lucky because I, and I realized, Kara, I didn't even answer you 
previously, when you asked about geography, we're all over the yeah. country and there really is there, every single zip code in America needs credit card processing. Yeah. So kind of agnostic in terms of that. In terms of COVID, I hate to say it's been good for our business, but certainly people are now realizing, businesses realize they have to accept Apple Pay and Google Pay. Like yeah. people don't want to be touching a terminal totally. or touching credit cards. And so because of that, a lot of businesses have upgraded their terminals when they might not have. And so if they're going to upgrade, might as well upgrade to a company that offers exceptional service like Park Place. So that's been helpful for us. The other thing that's helped us is that we kind of specialize in the unsexy businesses. So we have so many doctors, you know, 27% of our portfolio is dentists and doctors and physical therapists. And those are kind of pandemic-proof businesses. Mm-hmm. We have some restaurants, but we are really lucky. We've only had three to four businesses closed since COVID. So we just happen to not be weighted towards hospitality, restaurants, clothing boutiques, the kinds of businesses that have, you know, gone out of business pretty quickly. That's great. So more of a services business, that's sort of the... Yeah, we have like, we have medical, we have HVAC companies, we have pool companies, we have contractors, we have bookstores. We have just a lot of businesses that have continued to thrive. We have business to business customers. We have a sports stadium. You know, we have a very wide variety in our portfolio. And I think that's really helped us. I feel like you probably would not have ever imagined when you were in college playing tennis that you would have been starting this company, right? No, I don't think I could have imagined it five years ago. I mean, people will say to me, well, you used to be on the Today Show all the time and now you're talking about credit card processing. And I'm like, no, I am talking about financial independence and taking a population of people who are underutilized and putting them back into the workforce. I love it. And that to me is the sexiest thing I could possibly be doing with my time. Like, I love it. I'm more passionate about it than anything I've ever done. And it's incredibly rewarding. I get up every day, like super fired up for what I'm doing. Well, I feel like you saw this problem and this hole in the market. And I always talk about, and something I talk about in my book, as you know, is like this journey. Like you ended up at this, you know, event where you're speaking and there's a bunch of people in this industry and your curiosity, like you just sort of went there, right? You were like trying to figure out the industry and you were trying to, you know, you didn't sit there and and walk into that event thinking, I'm going to go figure this out so that I can ultimately go and, you know, start a company around it. And I feel like, you know, so often there's this misconception of entrepreneurs where you think like, I mean, I didn't start my company hint until I was, you know, in my mid to late thirties, right? Like, it's like people think like, oh, I wasn't born to be an entrepreneur. I don't even know what that means. And most great entrepreneurs that I know were not sitting here thinking about it when they were playing tennis in college, right? Like they were- I think they're just, they're the people that don't take no for an answer, right? And that's something you and I have in common, which is like, no is a slower path to yes, right? And when you started hint, Kara, you- or not, you didn't have beverage experience, but anyone who thinks that you needed to have beverage experience to start Hint is off the wall, right? And I'm sure there were tons of investors who said, well, well, she doesn't really have beverage experience. It turns out grit was the number one thing that was going to make you successful. And you already had that in spades. And that's one of the things I loved about your book is like, it really hammered home where the grit came from and how young you were when you started to show that grit. I love your stories. And I think that's what I had too. I had the grit. And the bottom line is I don't think of it as an industry where I need to understand every single thing about payments. I instead, I need to understand everything about people and customer service. Yeah, that's the secret sauce to what we're doing. And also a passion for creating jobs. Yeah. 
right? At which I think is is something that you know you don't need to be an expert in finance or payments in order to understand that you know people need to be working, right? right? And they need to figure out like how to get jobs. It's funny you say that because like all of our competitors, the agents, they call them agents. We call them account executives because we're like into pristine branding, <laughs> but the agents are out there and they're all crunching numbers out in the field and like writing chicken scratch and saying to people, I'll save you this. And we realized like, why should our account executives ever have to crunch a number? That's the most scalable part of the business. We have an internal team. They crunch the numbers and all our accounting executives do is sell. And I think that there's so many scalable parts of this business. And this was one of those industries, probably like the beverage industry where, you know, there's so many things people are like, well, that's how it's always been done. And you're like, that's just a terrible reason for doing it again tomorrow that way. Yeah, totally. I mean, like I said, I've just launched my book last week and I've I'm talking and thinking a lot about this stuff, you know, as we go. I mean, large companies are not good at innovating. They're not great at sort of identifying problems as opportunities. They're great at identifying, yeah, there's this problem, but their typical answer because they've all, you know, they're all inbred, right? And so their typical answer is that's just the way things are. And so when you're curious as you were, to, you know, trying to really ask the right questions and figure the stuff out when no one has any answers, then you're like, ah, okay, I get it now. And there really isn't an answer. And so that's when you went and developed, you know, a company around it, which is amazing. I would think also that especially the more people I've talked to and some of them have lost their job or they've been off for a couple of years and they're like, oh, this is not the time to go find a job. I feel like there's going to be so many new opportunities in 2021 around people like creating jobs. I would think that would be a massive opportunity for you too to actually go and get those people that are just, they're needing some kind of payment system set up. And you know, how do you find those people and get them you know, hooked on your program before they've got another system. I think that that's super, super huge. So I love it. Yeah. I mean, one thing about our business that's super unusual is that the attrition is really, really high. Mm -hmm. So the average business switches credit card processors every three years. So most of our our new customers come from pre-existing businesses that are already like very well-established businesses that just need a better solution because they've accepted a pretty bad one for so long. So interesting. Wow. That's crazy. So what do you think is like the hardest challenge that you have in kind of starting your own company? What do you think is still like something that you lose sleep over in building this? Oh my gosh, what don't I lose sleep (laughs) over? (laughs) You know, I think it's the same for every working parent, right? I lose sleep over the fact like, am I forgetting something? I have three children. I have my podcast, as you know, What's Your Story with Sam and Amy, which is you know, definitely take some time. And then I have the company, which owns a podcast, by the way. So they're, they're synergistic. But I will say that, you know, you never have enough time. There's, you never get everything done in a day that you want to mm-hmm. get done. You never spend quite as much time with your kids as you had wanted to, whether it's studying for the biology test or just, you know, hanging out with them or whatever it is. Or you never have enough time to, you know, really spend with your employees or whatever it is. I just feel like every day there's new things, but also like, I have to say, 
I think it's really fun, right? So I don't want to make it sound like, oh my gosh, I worry about everything. Of course I worry. But at the same time, I think you and I are similar in this way. Like I wake up every day kind of excited for the day, even though it's going to be so busy and overwhelming. Like I feel like I have a really fun life. I don't know if that's okay to say. I feel like misery loves company, but I feel very grateful for the fact that I have a lot of positive, happy things going on in my life. And so even when a day is hard, I feel that way. How do you feel about it? You know, I feel like the hardest thing, you know, just as crazy as you are at the moment, because in a different type of crazy, but launching this book in the midst of actually, you know, running a growing company, it's sort of like, you know, and trying to do it from home. And I think also when you're leading a company, I think that the biggest challenge I feel is that some people want you to have all the answers, right? And so I think that, you know, they're looking for direction. They didn't sign up for being an entrepreneur like you, right? Like, when are we going back to the office? Can I go back to the office, right? And so I feel like so often, you know, we have 200 people in our company, like, and again, they're not wrong for asking. They're just curious. They're sharing what their needs are, right? And they're looking for somebody to kind of help them feel better and direct them in a way. So you would say like managing people, I mean, managing 200 people is no joke. That's an enormous, it's an enormous thing. And it's not that I don't have great leaders in the company either, but I think when you're headed into something like, and hopefully coming out of, or have been sitting in a pandemic for eight months, any way that you want to look at it, I think people start to, you know, ask, right? Like they ask these questions that sometimes you're not going to have answers to, right? Although I have answers to lots of things, right? You know, just because the longer you stay on this planet, you you feel like you've kind of experienced different things. Like if you want to talk to me about emergency C-sections versus plan C-sections, I'm your girl, right? Like I can, you know, I can tell you how to do a lot of things around, you know, parenting. I can also share that going through the 2009, you know, financial crisis was actually, it better prepared me for actually dealing with the pandemic. Very different, but there are things about it and aspects about it, including the fact that I wanted to raise money at the beginning of the pandemic because I didn't want to like sit there and wait and figure out if it was going to get worse. There's a lot of people that did that. Well, I think I did that actually. And I think it was a huge mistake. I mean, I would say if I could re-answer that question, I'd probably say that the biggest challenge is is raising money from my bedroom. So we're raising our seed round of capital from my bedroom. It's always a challenge, a woman raising money, period. Mm -hmm. Sally Krawcheck, I interviewed her the other day and she shared with me something super valuable, which is she would never take a meeting with a VC if she asked them a question, do you need full consensus of everyone on your team? Mm-hmm. Because if you need full consensus, you are never all going to want to fund the women's business. Yeah. Like it's not going to happen. So she wouldn't take those meetings. She would only take the meeting with decision makers who had the power to say, you know what, I believe in this and we're going to go forward. And I think for me, you know, I'm used to traveling a lot and doing what I have to and hustling my butt off, right? So if I had to have a hundred meetings to get to my 10 investors, I would, I'd be on a plane, I'd do what I have to do. Doing that now from my bedroom while my kids are down the hall, homeschooling, my husband's running his business from downstairs. Like, you know, when people talk about working from home, 
they don't envision working from home with everyone else practically in your lap, right? Yeah. Like working from home when you're the only one home. And now we're working from home with everyone else here too. And raising money at a snail's pace, which is basically what it feels like because I'm not on the road and I don't have 15 meetings a day. It's definitely been a rude awakening for me. And, you know, it's happened, but it's very slow compared to what it would have been if there weren't a pandemic. But I will also say that you've raised a lot of money and are ready. And you're what, 80% of the way there? I am, but yeah. it's like, you know, I, I'm someone who likes results. It's I know, like, Let's but you need to time. also give yourself a little bit of a break because you've done an amazing job. And I think like, that's another thing that I always talk about is celebrate what you've achieved. Because if you're like us, you know, you're constantly looking at what you don't have, right? Versus, and what you haven't been able to accomplish versus what you've done. And I think like that's, you should stop and I mean, you are so accomplished and you've done so much and I know you're going to finish this up. Thank you for believing in me and thank you for all of your guidance. I mean, you've been a mentor to me in this process and I'm so grateful. But you also just have to keep going, right? And you have to, and it doesn't matter if we're in a pandemic or we're, you know, or there's millions of people saying that you're not going to be able to finish and you're not going to be able to raise or whatever it is, you're going to be able to do that. I know you are. You just have to be in that mind frame and just go it up and keep talking to people as you're doing to connect you. And I know you're going to be able to do it more than anything. So, and also sort of my next point is like, you've built a huge engaged social following. I mean, how important do you think that is in today's day and age for any business? I think it's it's really important. I'm challenged by social media in the sense that I spend a lot of time on it, especially on Twitter mm-hmm. and more and more on Instagram, but I'm not scrolling people's feeds, like checking out their barbecue from yesterday. I'm usually there trying to engage for some purpose of, you know, communicating with people in different ways, whether it's learning something or whether it's, I'm constantly reading articles. So I'm constantly trying to find good content to include in my, in my weekly newsletters. So I'm always there with a purpose, but you have to be really disciplined about it. I'm sure you find this too. Like there are times when I'm like, oh gosh, I don't have two hours today to spend on this. And I've just wasted a half hour and I could have been doing something much more useful. And I think it's like this constant distraction that's just always there kind of begging us to pay attention to it. And so we do have to be really disciplined about it. So I think it's very, very important. I think that social media, I focus on the positives of it. So every day you'll see people in your feed that are like, I'm quitting Facebook. It's been terrible. Or, you know, I have to go off of this for a while. And I understand that feeling, but I think it's more about their own self-discipline than anything else. Because I feel that overwhelmingly what I have received from social media is super positive things. It's deepened relationships with people I wouldn't have even met before. I've met certain friends on Twitter and on social media. Yeah. Yeah. So I've just, I see it mostly as positive and it makes people think of me for a speaking engagement or for a business development relationship, or I've used it totally to help all the things I do and to expose me to different kinds of people that I might not have had a lot of exposure to. Yeah, I think it's a true, I was explaining this to somebody the other day who is not really on social media. I think that Instagram, or I should say Instagram, Twitter, whatever, maybe not Instagram as much because I think that Instagram is more about pictures and storytelling. I don't know. But I feel like Twitter, when people start to get in trouble on Twitter, it's when 
it's a true measurement of their EQ, right? And as so it is very, and again, there's some days when I think people sort of go astray a little bit, but I think it's something that, you know, sometimes people will say things in these platforms that they wouldn't say in real life to somebody. And it's just, it's so fascinating to me because I really do believe that it's, I mean, I think the way that you speak to people on social is really, I believe that that's what you would say. Right? right. And you're not going to say something to people that you think is head to head one-on-one and, you know, in a large audience or something. So it's funny. So Gary Vaynerchuk was the person that first insisted I get on Twitter when we had our show years ago. And his thing was every negative comment you keep up, you respond to. And at first I followed exactly what he told me to do. And then I realized as a woman, the rules are completely different. Interesting. And you cannot follow those rules. And you do, you can block with abandon, block anyone who says something offensive to you. You do not need to keep haters on your page. You do not need to respond to hateful comments or nasty comments. I totally agree. Yeah. The other thing that I find in talking about Twitter in particular, I found that I've actually ended up becoming friends with a lot of men and sort of not in a creepy way, but it that actually are looking to kind of bounce ideas off of me and figure out like ways that they can support women. I mean, it's actually been a fascinating over the last year that, you know, these are people that don't live by me are not in the beverage industry, but are actually trying to be better. And so I found that I've almost been like a mentor to not just women, but also men that are just curious about, you know, things. And I think it's fascinating because maybe sometimes they may not have a group of people around them where they feel like they can actually ask certain questions. Like, you know, how do I, I mean, I had one guy the other day ask me like, how do I actually, I don't have any women on my board. And what do you think is an appropriate way to go about getting a woman on my board. I've asked a few women to be on my board and they hold it against me because I don't have any women on my board. And you're like, well, the first thing to do is not just add one woman. No, exactly. (laughs) But but again, like, where do they ask those questions? Like, again, I feel like it's my responsibility, right? To really help, you know, make them do better. And especially when they want to do better. So again, I feel like there's this kind of opportunity that you probably have as well, where they're watching you and you're listening to your voice. And I think at times there's other platforms where you've got creepy people that are kind of hanging out and saying nasty things or saying things that that are not appropriate at all. But I feel like there are some people, I believe that there are people who actually do want to do good and actually look at leaders and people that have kind of done things and they don't want anything from you other than to say, what do you think about this? Is this, you know, so anyway, I really value that side of, of social and, and anyway, I think it's an important thing to do. So getting back to Samantha, so you've grown a business with kids, you know, obviously you're going to have crazy days. I, I know you agree with me that days are not always balanced, right? <laughs> right? I mean, especially in the last eight months, you can't, you can't always have balance and, you know, you sign up for the crazy and maybe you even like the crazy a little bit too. So would you say? Probably. I think I've always ascribed to the idea that you can't 
have that philosophy that you're only as happy as your happiest child, or you will always be unhappy if you have a lot of kids. (laughs) So, So, I mean, you have four kids, I have three. And I think it's our role as parents actually have some separation and be able to be the supportive parent. And you can't be the supportive parent if you're completely enmeshed in that feeling that your child is having. So, you know, I think that it's definitely been a test for all of us just being home so much and being together so much. And I feel so badly for my kids just because what an unnatural childhood they're having. I mean, I know your kids are a little bit older, but you know, my kids are 10, 13 and 14 and one of them started high school on Zoom and one started a new school on Zoom and it's just a very unusual time. So I think that this period of time has posed certainly enormous challenges for all of us. But I also think that, thank God, I have something other than monitoring my kids' homeschool. (laughs) Because I think that you can even just see, like, I have three fairly independent children. And I think part of that is because they have two parents who are running companies and are not going to be there all the time. And I think that's helped them in many ways get through this period with a little more ease maybe than they would have. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer in saying yes over saying no and inviting more opportunities into your life. And I think that makes for a more fun, richer life. Does it mean that you're going to drop balls often? Hell yeah. But I would rather have a really fun, big life with balls dropped than have a, you know, perfect confined life. Yeah. And I think I've shared this with you before that as they get older, I think that they'll have stories and they'll remember things about you trying to take on big industries. And, you know, as one teacher said to me a couple of years ago that one of my kids explained perfectly the money raising process and the difference in this class that they were talking about private equity versus venture versus preferred stock versus common stock. And I mean, they're like, how did they learn this? And I'm like, because they're sponges, right? And so they sit in my house and they overhear conversations and, you know, they actually become smarter. I don't know if they're going to be entrepreneurs or not, but I don't think that they will fear it as other people. Well, no. And by the way, it's inspirational. I mean, I think it's so great for all of our kids, boys and girls to see a powerful mom who's working and also being a loving parent. I think that's such an important thing for them when they grow up, they'll probably grow up to have more egalitarian relationships and choose partners that are also, you know, believing in them because they've seen us do that. And so I think that's really, really important. I always share my work with my kids. You alluded to that, the radio show I used to host that was a call-in radio show and, and people would call with their problems every week. And I would always spend Thursday night or Tuesday night. I think the show was on Tuesdays and I spend Tuesday night at the dinner table and I would tell everyone, I would, you know, G rate the problem and tell everyone the problem. And I would give each child a chance to say how they would have solved that problem. That's awesome. They all participated and they would have age appropriate responses, but it was like completely fascinating. And just the other night I was trying to solve Halloween and one of, you know, cause there's no trick or treating and it's such a bummer. And so I said, why don't we have like the ultimate candy trading game? And I thought like, what could be more fun than candy trading? Like that sounds fun to me. I would like to be part of a candy trading game. And my 10 year old is like, do you realize if you have unlimited candy, then there is no value to the currency. And I was like, oh, good God, I I give up. (laughs) That is hysterical. 
I'm like, okay, I'm just, I just thought it'd be fun to have like a Snickers for a, you know, <laughs> for a Milky oh Way. <laughs> no. And that's what you create. My son started doing DoorDash and he wanted some extra money and wanted to buy some shoes. And I told him you have to start making money and then you can have really fancy shoes like that. And so he signed up to do DoorDash and he started doing DoorDash. And what he figured out after a week was that there's certain nights that are definitely better than other nights, okay? And then he figured out that there's certain areas. We live in Marin County, but not every area has a lot of larger homes. And so what he realized is that the larger homes are where there's more kids. And so they get paid minimum like 10% on every ticket, right? And so he said, when you have lots of bedrooms in the house, then you also have a higher ring. So your likelihood of being able to actually, you know, get at least 10% or, and maybe more. And then the other thing is, is that if they're neighborhoods with younger kids that actually going out at five o'clock to get the kids fed before you ultimately have dinner is like this whole thing. So I love that he's actually like researched it and try to figure out like patterns. How to work the system. And, and <laughs> customers and stuff. And, and so I'm like, I'm totally intrigued by this. And by the way, I think like there's no like reason why anyone can't make a little bit of money. Uh, like just after hearing about this DoorDash, as long as you have a car. Yeah, and with Park Place, you don't even need the car. And you don't even need the car. <laughs> there you go. Right. And you can, but anyway, I'm just, I'm fascinated by, you know, you'll see as your kids get a little bit older, how they're, how they're learning along the way. And anyway, I love this, love this. So how do people find Sam Edis? They can visit uh, parkplacepayments.com if they want to join our team. They can find me and my podcast at whatshersstorypodcast.com or they can follow me on social at Samantha Edis. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming. And I'm so excited for all of you guys to get to know Sam a little bit more. She is so smart and is just doing something really, really big and taking on this industry. I'm very excited to see how really you disrupt it and do great stuff. So all through it, helping really people, women to find better ways to ultimately get a better life. I think that's what I think of when I think of your business. So thank you for doing all that you're doing. It's awesome. Yeah. Thanks everybody. And if you loved this podcast, please give super high marks and come visit us at the Kara Golden Show. We recently rebranded it because there were a few other unstoppables out there. So we decided let's really push people into the Kara Golden Show where we're doing interviews twice a week, Mondays and Wednesdays, and with mostly entrepreneurs, but also just people just doing cool stuff and sometimes book launches as well. So definitely come visit us and say hello on social as well. So thanks, everybody. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head-on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. undaunted. 
Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.